Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Science and Math Discussion, and today we'll be discussing our favourite maths problems and puzzles. They won't include any long um, maths working out, but rather logic and quick creative thinking. Let's get into it. There we go. Okay, so the first problem is from the brilliant.com daily, daily challenge. And this is based on uh, chests. There are two chests. One contains gold. And each, each chest, let's call them A and B, has a statement based around them. And one or both of these statements are false. And you need to find out which chest has, contains gold. I think I read so this a, one, actually. I think, I think I did this. Yeah. It's a good one. It's great. So A, a chest A, there is gold the statement is gold is in this chest and for chest b gold is not not in this chest so one of or both of those statements are false so uh if they're both they must be both false because in any other configuration they're con- contradictory for example if the statement around a is false which is gold is in this chest i.e gold can't be in chest a then uh, and ch- chest B's statement is true, where gold is not in this chest, is uh, then gold can't be in either of the chests. So they're both false, for example. So gold is in chest A. Uh, gold is not in chest A. Gold is in chest B. So gold must be in B. And following on from that one, another, I think it's an example question from that same kind of daily challenge so this time there are three chests and gold is in only one of them and there are three statements to each of these chests a b and c one is true and two are false so for chest a the statement is gold is not in here and for chest b statement is gold is in chest a and for statement c gold is not in here so you need to look at which statements are about one particular thing. So statements A are A, which is gold is not in chest A, and B, gold is in chest A, are both about chest A, so they are contradictory, so cannot both be true or false, because otherwise it would just be impossible. And also, A and C cannot both be false, which are A, gold is not in chest A, and C, gold is not in chest C since you would need two sets of gold uh, because then gold would have to be in both of them uh, where there is a and in the problem you're only allowed one set of gold so uh, therefore a is true and c is c is false so b must also be false because there's one one true and two false and uh, therefore, the gold is in C, since uh, it is false, and it states that gold is not in here, which means it must be in there. Mm, nice. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I've got another brilliant daily challenge from the 22nd of the 8th of the 20, uh, 2021, called Key Speed is the Key. Um, it's, it says that Clara left the house and realised that she forgot her keys. She asked her sister Daria to throw them from the balcony at 6 metres above the ground. Daria threw them straight down at the initial speed, 15 metres per second. Assuming gravitational acceleration g equals 10 meters per second squared and neglecting air resistance, 
um, what is the approximate speed of the keys when they reach the ground? So we have some keys, we, we don't know their mass, being thrown from 6 metres, um, initial velocity of 15 metres per second. And we have to find the velocity they have at the ground. Um, we, can, um, we can calculate their energy using both the, the equation for gravitational potential energy and for kinetic energy, and by adding these together. So the gravitational potential energy, being 6 metres above the ground, mgh, uh, mass, we, we don't know, but gravity, gravitational um, acceleration is 10, and height is 6 meters, so we can, we can, write, we can write that, and we know um, the velocity is 15 meters per second, so we can uh, work out the energy that way. Uh, we can write, so uh, we know both these equations, they're very useful to do this. There's a very um, good way, because we don't know the maths, so that can make things confusing. We can write um, the energy at the start is going to be all transferred to velocity at the end, and that's what we want to know when it hits the ground. So we can write a little equation that the um, gravitational potential energy plus the velocity at the start is equal to the velocity at the end. So mgh at the start, when it's 6 metres high, plus the energy of having 15 metres per second, a half mv squared, where v is 15, um, equals half mv squared, where v squared, v, is the final velocity we want to know. And this is useful because we can get rid of mass, mass cancels out, and we find velocity to be equal to 18. It's just it's, it's a very sort of common sort of um, question. You'll see a lot of these exchanging between velocity and gravitational potential energy, um, kinetic energy, sorry, instead of velocity. But um, you'll see a lot of these, and it's quite intriguing. Um, it's good. It's a good way. It's a good practice. Um, we'll do the next one. Yeah. So this is again from a uh, a brilliant. They're, they're so good. They are really good. I would recommend yeah. getting to them if you haven't. Been. They they explain them very well. They do, so, yeah. uh, there is a sum of 5 plus 5 plus 5 plus 5, so four fives all added together, and you're allowed to change any of the signs to any other sign, so minus, division, multiplication. Yeah, I did this one as well, it was great. <laughs> I yeah. like this one. And uh, how many primes can you create from that sum if you change the signs? So to do this, think it's useful to kind of look at what the effect of changing any of the signs would be. So if you just leave it as default with addition, then it's always going to be going to be uh, not a prime since 5 plus 5 plus 5 is divisible by 5. And so if you change it to a sub subtraction, that if you change 1 to subtraction, then, well, 5 minus 5 is just 0, so you just kind of take out that that facet of the problem, and it's still divisible by, f dis divisible by 5 and 2, because it's just 5 plus 5 equals 10. And if you change to multiplication, then it's always going to be divisible by whatever you're multiplying by. So the only sign that actually works is division, where you can change... So, and so if you added one division sign anywhere in the problem, then you could change uh, some like part of that sum to one, which would would be helpful. So for example, if you have one division sign, five plus five uh, plus five divided by five, so five plus five is ten, five divided by five is uh, one, and then you add them together, that equals 11, 
which is obviously a prime number. And then if you add two divisions, for example, 5 divided by 5, well, yeah, in the configuration, 5 divided by 5 plus 5 divided by 5, that equals 2, which is another prime number. Although you can't actually go the full distance and have three divisions because that would all that would be like weird fractions. Uh, so yeah, the answer is two primes can be uh, the sum of the, the this problem. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I've got another one. Junior Mathematical Challenge 1999, question seven. This isn't a particularly hard problem in any way. It's just sort of a format you're going to see all over the place, and it's a very simple entry one to make it feel simple in your mind. I know that I've seen a lot of them like this, and I get confused. Anyway, so um, Mary has three brothers and four sisters. If they and Mary all buy each other an Easter egg, how many Easter eggs will be bought? This is, yeah, very easy, but it gets people. they like to use this format and get more complicated, so it's good to have a basic understanding of it. So they're eight siblings, they all buy seven eggs, so eight times seven equals 56. There we go, it wasn't complex math to explain out loud. But it's it's a good one. It's it's um something you'll see a lot, and it's good to practice a lot of these basic ones where you have uh, large numbers of things each interacting with each other in a lot in a in a in a certain way. Right, next one, Will. I know that so, was a quick one. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, this one's again from from Brilliant Daily. They're just too good, aren't they? They're just too good. Yeah. Well, all of mine are. So oh, this nice. is okay. this is quite a simple quite a simple one as well. So it's. Uh, there are two water containers, one with two... Yeah, liters. I like this one. <laughs> so yes. I, 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 I love brilliant. So this one, uh, one has two litres and one has six litres, uh, can, has a six litre capacity. And there are three actions that you can take based around these two containers. So one is you could fill a container to the top fully, so you can't like fill it like halfway or whatever. Another is you could pour the water directly, just pour all of the water onto the ground, so empty out the container. Uh, or you could also pour uh, into pour water from one container into the other container until it is empty or the other is full. And the question is, how many different total amounts of water can be measured? So first, let's get the, the obvious ones out of the way. You can obviously measure two, two litres from the two-litre container, six litres from the six-litre container, uh, and eight litres from measuring out two litres and six litres. Uh, so, uh, it, it, a bit more complex. Uh, if you empty the small container into the big one, it's always going to be... A multiple of two, because because you're you're just adding in in increments of two because it's a two liter container. So any you can have any value from two to eight since you can just fill gradually and then fill the two two liter container itself. And we've already got two six and eight, so the last outlying value is four liters which you accomplish if you fill up the 2-litre container, pour it in to the 6-litre, and then fill it up again and do the same to have a total of 4 litres. And therefore, you can measure four, eight different, no, four different values sorry, uh, in total. Yeah. Cool, nice. 
the next one I've got is some Intermediate Mathematical Challenge 2001 Question 15. You're given five numbers, and you're asked how many of the following numbers are greater than 10. Uh, the numbers are 3 times the square root of 11, 4 times the square root of 7, 5 times the square root of 5, 6 times the square root of 3, and 7 times uh, root 2. So um, this requires a basic understanding of thirds, which is the understanding of root numbers. Um, and the idea being greater than 10, so the number has to be greater than the square root of 100, because that is 10. That's going to become very useful. So, so um, this is how we're going to solve it. We're given the number 3 times the square root of 11. This can also be written as the square root of 9 times the square root of 11, because the square root of 9 is equal to 3. And when you, ha when you have two of these square roots together, square root of 9 times square root of 11, you can sort of times them together under one big square root to become square root of 99. And square root of 99 is smaller than square root of 100, therefore 3 times, the root, times root 11 is smaller than 10. So that's just a fun little um, thing. I'll do it for the others as well. Uh, 4 times square root of 7, which is the square root of 16 times the square root of 7. And you times that together under one big square root, and you get square root of 112, which is greater than square root of 100, which therefore is greater than 10. Um, again, 5 times square root of 5, square root of 25 times the square root of 5, square root of 125, greater than square root of 100, greater than 10. Uh, and you'll find the other two, six, 6 times square root of 3 is greater than 10, and 7 times square root of 2 is less than 10. Therefore, 3 out of the 5 numbers are greater than 10. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting problem, and the idea of um, timesing thirds together is very important, and you'll find that everywhere. Right, back to you, Will. Okay, so this is my final one, and it's, and it's also from Brilliant. Yeah, well, daily challenges. They're the, they're the real MVP of this. I want to see if I've done it as well, so I've seen if I can do all of them. Anyway, okay. Uh, so you pick a random number, and there's uh, a two-digit random number positive, and there are four possibilities of what uh, of what it could be. Well, there's more, but these are the ones specified in the thing. So either the number is divisible by 10, the number... B, the number ah, is yeah. divisible yeah, by <laughs> 2 and 5. C, the number is divisible by 2, but not 5. And D, the number is divisible by 5, but not 2. And you have to find out which uh, which is... There are three are equally likely, and one is more likely than all of the others. And you have to find out which one it is. So... Uh, I think although that two digit numbers there's obviously not uh eight, 89 no 90 um from 10 to 99 uh so, but you don't really have to go through all of them to find out which ones uh which ones the most likely so what I did is I cut it down to a sample size of one one kind of decade of numbers so 10 to 19 and from that you can get a basic idea of the of the probabilities so uh, for uh, for example uh, in the decade of 10 to 19 there is only one number divisible by 10 which is obviously 10 and there is also only only one number divisible by f 2 and 5 which is also 10 and then there are actually four, if you go through it, there are four numbers divisible by two and not five. So that's 12, 
14, uh, 16, 18, and uh, there are, there's only one number divisible by 5, but not 2, which is 15. Therefore, uh, statement C, uh, numbers divisible by 2 and not 5, is most likely to be fulfilled. Which actually, well, it makes a lot of sense, because any number divis any even number that is not uh, divisible by 10 is obviously going to be divisible by 2 and not 5. So, yeah, so C is the most likely. Nice, yeah, I like, I like that one. Um, here's my final one as well. Teams Maths Challenge Regional Finals 2009 Relay A14. Catchy. Um, I have an unfair dice as probability one half of landing on a six with the other numbers equally likely. If the, if the dice is thrown twice, what is the probability of obtaining a total score of 10? So, to do this, uh, we look at how we can get 10. We can get 6 and 4, 4 and 6, and 5 and 5. Um, so, to get uh, 6, we have a 50% chance, or a 0.5 probability. So, to get 6 and 4, we'll get a half times a tenth, because we have... Um, we have uh, five other values that aren't six split into the other 50%, so they're all going to be uh, one-tenth or 10%. So six and four will be a half times a tenth, which is a 20th. Four and six, so it's just the other way around, it's also going to be a 20th. And five and five, uh, both of them being not six, they're both going to be a one-tenth chance to be one-tenth times one-tenth, which is one-one-hundredth. Uh, one so uh, all these three possibilities uh, work, so we can add up our probabilities for all of them, uh, 1 100th plus 1 1 20th plus another 20th equals 0.11. So you should always give probabilities uh, from a number from 0 to 1, not as a fraction. Um, so there we go. Our chance of um, getting a total score of 10 is 0 0.11. Nice little probability question. That's it. That's everything. Yeah. Cool.